You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning. Hope you guys are well. Um, Excited to be back up here after a couple of weeks and continuing our series called Promises. We're looking at some of the greatest promises that God's given us. Um, Many times as Christians, we forget those promises and we don't stand on those promises that God's given us. But today we're going to look at another one of those promises that we have to remember. And I I hope, because I know there's a lot of people in here who need hope. Um, You got areas of your life that you're you're struggling in or um, things that maybe you've lost hope for. But today I want to give you uh, hope that is sure, hope that will last, hope that will endure the challenges that life brings against us, brings against us. So we're going to be looking at that today in Romans chapter 8. Um, we're going to begin in verse 18, read a few verses of scripture there, then we're going to jump over to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and read those. Um, before we jump in, real quick, um, if you have been around, you've heard us talking about our mission trip this summer to Romania, where we're going to be helping out with Um, a girl's home there and and doing a lot of different ministries there while we're in Romania. And so one of the things we've done is we've sold t-shirts and many of you have have, uh, purchased those t-shirts. And what I'm asking you to do now is please see Stacy Thompson about those shirts. And um, we're, we're collecting money, we're getting all that together. And this money, the money that we raise through the church, every bit of it, is going to um, these girls and this ministry in Romania. It's going to be awesome. We look forward to be able to bring some video back from their trip there and what they're going to be doing to show you guys everything that takes place. So um, just take care of that, if you will. Um, Now, Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, um, one of the greatest chapters of hope in all of the Bible. And so let's read verses 18 through 30. Then we're going to jump over into Revelation 21, 1 through 7. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Rome, and the first thing he tells them is, listen, the current struggles that you're having, the current suffering that you're going through, the current trials and and challenges that you're having are not going to compare to what you're going to experience um, in in heaven, in, in the new earth, in God's new creation when he reveals himself and he gives us a glorified body. We're going to see more about what this means in just a minute. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So even creation is groaning and longing for the return of Christ, for God to uh, reorient things, reorder things in the way that they were designed to be. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the, our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. How many of you are looking forward to a redeemed body, right? Uh, like, I'm, I'm looking forward to a glorified body um, where I can eat what I want to and not gain weight, where I'll have abs, and uh, it's going to be awesome, right? Eating french fries and having abs at the same time will be incredible. Um, and so it says this, uh, so we've grown 
inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know, and here's the great promise, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so what I want you to see here in this first part of the scripture we're looking at is that Paul gives us this great vision that that one day the glory that we're going to have, the glory that we're going to walk in is, is going to cause the suffering and the struggles of this life to fail in comparison. He said, you can't even put them together. It's not even close. And and he talks about creation groaning. He talks about us groaning for God to put these things back in order. And he's talking about this one day when this is going to happen. And today, when you hear me talk about glory, or you hear me talking about um, being glorified, this is what I want you to think of. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John's revelation of what God's going to do. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, us being prepared for Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen to this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the longing that the creation and that we have in our hearts for God to make things new. This is what he's saying. Then he said, write this down for this, these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. And see, this is part of what the children of God will inherit. This glorious place, this glorified body, glorified soul and spirit being remade in the image of Christ. This is what John saw, this is what is to come. And I want you to compare that and contrast that to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight. Even as I look at the text, it's almost like I can see the dimness of of Romans eight from the standpoint of it being uh, talking about the world we currently live in. But you can see the light and the brightness of Revelation 21, one through seven, when it talks about what's to come and what God's going to do. And so I wanna pray and then we're gonna jump into this and my hope, my prayer is that your hope would be assured today that that God would speak to your hearts and you would walk out of here different than you were when you walked in that you would walk out of here with a greater hope a sure hope 
It's in Christ. Something greater maybe than you've had before. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, we need you to come now. God, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you move in us today? Would you set our eyes on you? Would you set our eyes on what's to come and lift us above the mire and the muck of this world, the struggles and the strains of this world, God? Give us eyes to see the hope that we have clearly, that hope that comes through Christ. His name we pray, amen, amen. Well, how many of you can remember when you were little and I know for some that's a bigger stretch than for others, but how many of you can remember when you were little and there were things you looked forward to and you would say, I hope I get to do this or I hope I get to do that. You can remember hoping as a child, you just get your hopes up so much for things. I remember when I was about seven years old, um, we were going to Six Flags on the upcoming weekend up there in Atlanta. And, and I remember hoping so much for this and being so excited and my expectations were so high and, and I, I was uh, just ecstatic about the possibility of going to Six Flags. And I remember that Saturday it rained. And I mean, I was crushed, right? It was like, oh, the world's coming to an end and the sky's falling, right? It was just the biggest blow to me, uh, I, you know, that I could ever imagine. And I, I can remember um, being little and being at the baseball field, probably when I was 10 or 11 years old, and we had moved to Statesboro from over in West Georgia, over from Noonan, Georgia to Statesboro. And where I was at, it wasn't as big of an agricultural area as, as it is here in Statesboro. Um, and so we moved in and, and I loved baseball. So we were at the baseball field and we were about to play a game. And every day during the summer, I would watch the clouds and, you know, all of a sudden these clouds would start building up and I'm sitting there thinking and hoping, oh, please don't let it rain. And I remember one day I, I made the comment out loud, oh man, I hope it doesn't rain. And this little boy next to me just lit into me like I'd never seen before. He was like, do you understand that my family grows corn? And that we live off of that corn? And if it doesn't rain, that corn doesn't grow? And you're talking about you hope it doesn't rain? How dare you say that? It's like, dude, whatever I just did, I'm sorry, right? I was just hoping to get to play a baseball game. That's all I was doing, right? And so it was a big deal, but you know, we hope for things. I remember when I booked a trip for Susan and I at our anniversary last year, we went on a cruise for our anniversary. It sounds a lot more glorious than it actually was um, because I booked the trip. I was like, man, I got a great deal on this thing. This is awesome. We might do this every year. And then we walked on the ship. I don't know what I was hoping for, but it wasn't what I saw, right? And, and, and as we walked on, I, I may have told you this, but Susan's first words were, oh my. It wasn't like, honey, thank you for bringing me on this trip. This is going to be awesome. It was like, oh my, what have we gotten into? And, and so it was not exactly what I'd hoped for. And the reality of it is for all of us that in life, many times what we hope for doesn't happen. Disappointment is a part of life. Struggle is a part of life. Suffering is a part of life. Challenges is a part of life. And that's a lot of what Paul's talking about in this text, is that the creation groans for God to reorder things, 
to put them back in the order that they were. God, we long for God to do that. And I believe that because our hearts don't do well with suffering and with heartache and with challenges, that points to the fact that we weren't created for those. That this world isn't the way that it was meant to be. We were created for something else. And I believe that that's true. And I believe we were created for that Revelation 21, one through seven, that glory and the glorified body that we'll receive, the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of our souls, the redemption of our spirit, being wholly remade in God's image and in a glorious place. I believe that's what God intended from the beginning. I know that's what God intended from the beginning. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the contrast between Romans 8 and Revelation 21. I want you to think about the difference in that. And I want you to think about it in this way. Because here's the reality. Right now, we live in Romans 8, where the creation groans and we groan, and even says the spirit groans for God to reorder things. And we live in that reality. But we have this great promise of what's to come. And we have this great promise that God is working all things to our good. But here's my question for you today. What do we do in between the promise and our reality and Revelation 21, one through seven? What do we do in what I would call the meantime, in that span between the promise and its coming? That span between the promise and what will be that span between the promise and the realization of that promise, what do we do? And I wanna give you some things today that we need to remember. That in the meantime, in that span between the promise and the realization of that promise, that we have to remember. If there's ever been a message that God preached to me before I preached to you, it's this message. Because I needed this. I needed to have my eyes refocused on my true hope. And my prayer is today that it would do the same thing for you and that you would walk out of here in renewed hope and renewed strength because of what God does in you today. It says in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, that will be revealed in us in that time, right? And, and, And the first thing we've got to remember, if you look at that verse, the great promise in that is that the best is yet to come, right? That we haven't realized the best yet. That for the Christian, this is the worst it's going to be, right? Is that span of time between the the present and the promise and the realization of that promise. That for the Christian, we can know and take assurance and be assured and be encouraged that the best is still ahead of us. That we haven't seen our best days. That the best is not behind, but it all lays before us because we have the promise of Revelation 21. We have the promise that this glory that we're going to walk into, that's going to be revealed, is gonna cause this temporary time span, the temporary meantime, to fail in comparison with that. Isn't that good? Amen. We're so glad you're back, Brandon. (laughs) Woo! All right. All right. 
Romans 19 through 23, it says this, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the, our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, this is the next thing I want you to remember is that you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. It's why we need the body of Christ. It talks about the creation around us groaning. It's under the same effects of sin that we are. It talks about how we who are in Christ longed for, groaned for, desire the revelation of Christ to come, that this, this, this world would be reordered, that things would be put in the way that it was supposed to be. And so there's something in each one of us who are in Christ that binds us together. It's the same common struggle of sin. It's the same common struggle of life. It's the same sufferings. It's the same types of things that we go through. And as the body of Christ, it's why we need each other so that we can encourage each other in what we're going through, so that we can get through what we're going through. We need one another. Listen, you're, what you're walking through, someone else has been through. What you're walking through or facing, someone else has faced. The reality for us is this, that we don't have to walk through life alone. It's why our connect groups are so important to us. It's because we need people that we can do life with. When we're down and our hope is struggling, we need people who can come alongside of us and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. How do I know that? I read the end of the book and it's going to be all right. God's going to see you through and we're going to see you through and we're going to walk with you until this is over. And we need people who will be with us in that. We need folks to walk alongside and encourage us to continue the fight, to continue to go. And so I want you to know you're not alone in this. The next one, verse 24 and 25, says this, for in this hope, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is not is seen is no hope at all. In other words, if you already have what you're hoping for, then you don't have to hope for it. But the thing I want you to see is that this is not some, you know, cross my fingers, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, lucky rabbit's foot, um, you know, that kind of hope. This is hope that is sure. Biblical hope is different. It's, it's something we can be assured of. In fact, in the verse before, when it says that we wait eagerly um, for our adoption, the word for eagerly literally means to be on your tiptoes, neck extended, looking to the horizon. It means that we're expected. It doesn't mean that we're in fear going, oh, I hope this happens. I hope it, I just hope. No, he's saying this is something we're sure of. It just hasn't gotten here yet. So wait expectantly on your tiptoes with your neck stretched out, looking to the horizon, but also wait patiently, knowing that it's sure and that it will come. And so I want you to see that, 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 that he's telling us to hope for this. Who hopes for what they already have? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
The third thing that we've got to remember, first, we've got to remember that the best is yet to come. Second, we've got to remember that you're not alone. Third, we have to redefine the goal. We have to redefine the goal. Because in here, he tells us that this is something that we've hoped for or we are hoping for. But what is it that we can be expecting? What is it that we can be expectant of? And what we can be expecting is that one day, and what we can know is sure, is that one day God is going to put us in Revelation 21. That one day we are going to be remade into the image of Jesus. That all of creation will be right. That all of creation will be whole. And that we'll be made in the image of Christ. That's our greatest hope. And listen, listen, here's the the reality. And this is something I've wrestled with and this is something I've fought, but this is something I've come to the conclusion of and I believe it's true and I believe it gives us great hope in, in life is that this is really our only hope. This is our only hope. You know why? And this sounds, I'm not trying to depress you, okay? I'm not trying to like send you out of here on a low note. Here's why, everything else is temporary. Everything else ends, it stops, but this never ends. This is sure, this will be, as you're gonna see in just a minute. It is as sure as you sitting here today. And so we hope for it, but we've got to redefine what we're hoping in. One of the things I realized is that a lot of, a lot of people today, I think, have walked out of here not much different than they walked in. And one of the reasons that I feel that's happened is because they, they, that we're so set on the temporary things of life and hoping in the temporary things and the temporary things have so overwhelmed our life and so have our affections that to hear that our hope is really in the future and not instantaneous right now and that the thing we're hoping for is, is gonna come later and that the best is yet to come doesn't necessarily excite us because so much of us is wrapped up in the meantime. And what I'm telling you is don't miss the best and the greatest promise because you're so wrapped up in the meantime. We've got to set our eyes and fix our eyes ahead and look at, look at this hope that God's given us because this is where we find our strength for the meantime. This is where we find our hope in the meantime. This is where we find the ability to continue the fight in the meantime. It says in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So I want you to see that first the creation groans, then we groan, and then now the Spirit groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The the fourth thing I want you to see in this, the first one, the best is yet to come. The second one, you're not alone. The third one is we have to redefine the goal or clarify the goal. And the fourth one is that God is walking with you. That God is walking with you. That not only are there people to walk alongside you, but God is walking with you. In fact, God, if you are in Christ, is inside you to give you the strength to continue That's what he says in verse 26, that in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, that when we're broken and we're hurting, says that God gives us strength through his Spirit, that God gives us strength through his Spirit that's inside of us, that lives in us. 
This is our resilience. This is what makes Christians so much, I've told you this before, but like a cork, we may get pulled under, but we always pop back up to the surface. And the reason is because the spirit of God lives in us and greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. He cannot be overcome. And so we continue persevering and stepping forward as God gives us strength in our weakness. The second thing that happens in our brokenness is is the first one, he gives us strength. The second one is God enters into our suffering. So it says here that the spirit groans. The spirit groans because the spirit is empathizing, is understanding what we're going through. Um, Hebrews tells us this, that Jesus, our high priest, is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but is in every way able to sympathize because he was tempted in every way. It was, he was without sin. And so we see this same idea right here. Jesus entered into all of our sin and all of our suffering. He entered into all of that. He understands where we are. And as did Jesus when he was on earth, so does the spirit now as we go through life. And the spirit works in our life to give us strength. He enters into our struggle. He enters into our suffering so that he walks with us through this with us. So we're not alone so that people are walking with us, but the spirit is living in us to give us strength that otherwise we would not have gives us the resiliency. He continues to focus our eyes on Christ, which is the third thing I want you to see that the spirit does is he guides us through the struggle. He guides us through the difficulty. How many of you have ever been so broken that you really didn't even know what to pray. You've just been in a place where you kind of just wanted to cry, right? Where you just didn't even know what to say or what to do. And, and I feel like the reason that we're like that sometimes is because many times we don't, need to, we don't know whether we're supposed to pray, God, deliver me, or if we're supposed to pray, God, give me the strength to get through. Because in our brokenness, we simply don't know. But what the Bible tells us is that when we are that broken, the Spirit is there to intercede on our behalf, to pray for us, to to, to communicate our heart to God and to communicate God's heart perfectly to himself. See, and here's the good news. You not only have Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, as the Bible teaches, who intercedes on your behalf, who's speaking to the Father for you, but you also have the Holy Spirit who, when we are so broken that we don't know what to pray, he prays for us, the, the perfect will and the mind of God. And so that we can walk in the confidence of knowing God knows where I am. It's as we sang and as we talked about, every moment he knows, every moment he's with me. There's never a time that he doesn't know. There's never a time that he doesn't understand. There's never a time that he doesn't enter into it with me. There's never a time that I'm alone. And the reason for that is because my God is so good, he would never leave me nor forsake me in any way. And then we get to this great promise, this promise that many of us have memorized and we quote it so much. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The next thing I want you to remember is that God is working. So many times we feel like God's not doing anything. In the meantime, we've got to remember that God is working. God is working on our behalf. See, here's the good news. God never sleeps nor slumbers and God never tires. 
Even when God created everything that we see and everything that's ever been and everything that ever will be, the Bible says that he rested on the seventh day, but God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And I want you to see that what Jesus has done for us has finished the work for us. And I want you to see that God never tires. He, he, he's working. This, this past um, week, Susan had a birthday not long ago on May 5th. She had a birthday. And uh, for her birthday, she wanted shrubs for the yard. Okay, now ladies, I don't know where shrubs fits on your, to, you know, your want list or whatever. I'm sure it's you know, up there above um, a vacuum cleaner or something like that, but I kind of felt like that's what I was giving her, right? And so I was like, I'm giving her shrubs. I hope she really wants this. And, and so, um, so far it's worked out good. But the problem with it was that when we got home and we bought all these shrubs, which they think a lot of shrubs, and so we bought all these shrubs and we get home and somebody had to plant them. And since it was her birthday, guess who got the shovel, right? And so I'm out there digging these holes and I'm telling you, yeah, I wish I could, have said, could say that I had the loving attitude, but it wasn't real loving because it was like 95 and hell degrees outside. That's how hot it was. It was so hot, I'm telling you. And, and I realized how out of shape I am. I realized that I'm not, I haven't been in the sun like I used to be when I was in the roofing business and I was used to the heat. And I'm out there literally digging holes and you know, I'm, I got the shovel and I'm working and I'm throwing dirt and I'm sweating and I'm, I'm just trying to grind it out. And I'm like, just get these things planted and, and be done. And, and, and Susan's coming behind me planting them and she's sitting down and she's patting the dirt. And, da, 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 da. and I'm, I'm sitting there just dying. And she's got no sympathy whatsoever. She's just like, yeah, you need to dig another hole. I'm about to catch you. And I'm like, oh. And I start getting lightheaded, man. I quit sweating. I'm like about to have heat stroke. And Susan has no sympathy whatsoever. And just wants the holes dug. And I keep looking at this stack of plants over here that I've got to dig holes for. And so I'm still digging and shoveling and, and going at it. And, and finally, I would just lean up on the, the shovel and I'd look at her like puppy dog eyes trying to get some sympathy, no sympathy at all. And I was so tired, it, it just wore me out. And, and so um, finally I got done with it. But the thing I was thinking about with that is how that's not like God. God doesn't do that, he doesn't wear out. He doesn't even get tired of us. Like we get tired of some people, right? God doesn't. He continues to work in our life and the Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, if we love him and we've been called according to his purposes, which we have if we're in Christ, then the reality for us is that he is working in our lives. Not only is he working, but the Bible says he's working in all things, all things. Even when we don't understand it, God is working in all things. Even when we can't see it, God is working in all things. And not only is he working in all things, but he's working for our good in all things. Even when we don't get it, God is working. And what is that good that ultimately we become like Christ? We are remade in the image of Jesus and that we one day are in Revelation 21, one through seven, where we have been glorified alongside Christ in this glorified world where there is no more mourning. There are no more holes to dig, amen. And it says he just grow them himself. And, and there, are, there are no more 
death. There is no more death. There's no more pain. It's all gone. It's been erased. It's been redone by the creator as he reorders things. And people, this is our hope. This is our hope. God is going to do this. The last one out of verses 29 and 30, I want to read these to you. Before I even read them, there's some very big theological words in this text. There's some very big theological words like foreknowledge, he foreknew, right? There's some big words like predestined. He, he predestined us to be conformed in the image of his son. Like being called, what does that mean? And here's the reality of it. Guys, I've studied this and I've looked at this from every angle. I've looked at predestination and I've looked at free will. I've looked at um, election and I've looked at um, can anyone choose to come to Christ? And this is the thing that I'm gonna tell you today is that God's sovereignty on one hand and our free will on another hand meshes in a way that we don't understand. It meshes in a way that we can't completely wrap our mind around. Because how does Jesus say in John 6, that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him? But in John chapter five, he tells us that, 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 that um, we don't have life because we refuse to come to him. It works in a way that we don't know. And there's a mystery to God in a way that we, we don't firmly grasp every single thing, right? But here's what I don't want to happen today. I don't want you to be so caught up in the mystery that you miss the point. Amen? I want you to see what Paul is saying because what Paul is not doing, Paul is not, he did not write this, he did not pen these words so that we could have some theological argument. He penned these words so that believers who were struggling and suffering could have assurance of what was to come. And that's what I want you to see. So he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So the very first thing I want you to see and what I want you to, to be able to acknowledge today is that from the beginning of salvation to the end of glorification, which is what we saw in Revelation 21, one through seven, it's God's work, it's God's plan that our salvation is owed to God and what God has done, that he's done it for us. And so when we look at this, I just want you to really be able to see that it is God who's doing this, so it is sure. But this word foreknew, it can mean like foreloved. It means that God put his love on us. It means that not only did he know us and like know who was going to accept him and know who was gonna come into the, his, his uh, presence through Jesus, but what he knew, what he did was he also set his affection on us, his love on us. And so he, God loved, if you want to make it simple, God loved. And we know that from the greatest scripture, the most quoted scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? And so we have that in mind. He also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, predestined. It means our destiny is what? If we are in Christ, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ. What does that mean? That we would be glorified with him. That we would be remade in his image. That that is our destiny as believers. 
that that's what God is going to do in us. Philippians 1, 6, it says, he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. He's going to finish what he began. And he says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. He called us. In other words, we heard his voice. He awakened us from the slumber of death and he awakened us to life and gave us life. So God called, God God made it our destiny to be in the image of Christ. God loved, God called, God awakened us. And then it says, and those he called, he also justified. It's another huge theological term. But what it basically means is not this just that we've been forgiven or we've been acquitted or God said, I saw right if you sinned. No, it's, it's that through Jesus, he's made us as though we have never sinned. It's as though we are innocent completely, never having done anything wrong. And how could that be? How could it be because we're all sinners? We've all sinned. The way it is is because Jesus took that sin upon himself. He lifted it off of us, put it on himself, and took the punishment that we deserve. And so he justified us, made us right. He took our wretchedness and gave us righteousness. And then it says those he justified, he also glorified. And this is my favorite. Because he said he also glorified. He doesn't say he will also glorify. He says he also glorified. Everything else before this is something that's done in the past tense. But this one is something that's in the future. But Paul's is saying it is so sure to happen that it as, is as if it has already been done. That's the assurance that we have as believers and followers of Christ is that this is going to happen, that it is going to take place. And today, I hope what you don't hear is me making light of whatever you're facing or whatever you might be going through. What I'm telling you is that there is a greater reality than the meantime, and that is God, and that is what's to come. I've had my own share of struggles. I've had suffering in my life. And that's why this message was so much for me. When I was 16, I had a cousin die of lymphoma. It was really the first time that I began to wonder about life and its brevity. When I was 16, my girlfriend who had become my wife was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, lost her hair, went through treatments. I saw the ugliness of cancer in her. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years later. Watched her go through treatments. I knew the fear that came with that. I, I, I understood, I, I, it, was, it was scary. I remember when I found out that she had breast cancer, I walked outside and I kicked a plant off the porch because I was so angry because I didn't understand. I've had two cousins who died of brain aneurysms in their sleep. My dad had a motorcycle wreck. It'll be 10 years ago, June 3rd. I know because it was two weeks before my middle son was born. 10 years ago, June 3rd. And I've watched him for the past 10 years slowly deteriorate. I 
can't tell you how many times I've asked why. I can't tell you how many difficult conversations I've had with God. I've had my own struggles through ministry. I thought the roofing business was hard until I got into ministry. But nothing's harder than having people that you reach your heart out to and you give your heart to, to trample on your heart. To have people you thought were gonna be with you forever turn their back and walk away over something small and trivial. So we've all got struggles and we've all got suffering. We've all got difficulties. We've all got things that we're facing, but if we're in Christ, we've all got hope. And I'm telling you, I've had my own struggles with hope. I've had my own battles. I'm not a perfect person. My faith's not perfect. I still have days that I wonder about things and I wonder about life and I try to figure it out and there's just some things that are unanswerable and there's just so much gray area, it seems like, in life. And I'm like you, I'll put my hope in something temporary only to be disappointed. I'm like you and that I look for things that can't satisfy me to satisfy me. And I've wrestled with God in this, and God in his goodness has brought me so much back to this text that my hope is in him. My hope is in Christ. That is my great hope. And the longer I live, the more I'm in his word and the closer I get to him, the more I see these verses being true, that me, that I, that we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us, groan as we eagerly await the revealing or the redemption of our bodies. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for revelation. 21, one through seven, where I don't see people suffer any longer. Where we don't get phone calls in the middle of the night anymore. Where our hearts aren't torn apart by things that come on us suddenly and unexpectedly. Where every tear is wiped away where there is no more death and no more pain and no more mourning. And see, that's the goodness of God is that he gives us this. He gives us this to look forward to. He gives us this as a promise to hold on to. This is the goodness of God. This is our hope. And today, I want you to see that. I don't know where your eyes have been focused, but I know this, I want your eyes to be focused on him. I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to get on your tiptoes. I want you to reach out your neck. And I want you to begin to look expectantly for the redemption of humanity, for the de redemption of creation, for the redemption that sweeps us up into Revelation 21, one through seven. 
I want you to have hope that's bigger than your trials and your circumstances and so many of the petty little things that we worry about and we fuss about and we fight about and we squabble about and all of these things that many people in the world would love to be able to have those problems. I want us to lift up our eyes and begin to look to our Redeemer and to our true hope, to the one that gives true life. My prayer is that you would refocus your eyes on him today. Knowing that if you are in Christ, and this is easier said than it is held on to, but I pray you can hold on to it. That if you are in Christ, no matter what comes tomorrow, it's going to be okay. That the best is yet to come. No matter what, the best is yet to come for the children of God. I was talking with Susan a while back and with everything that goes on in the news and everything that happens, she sometimes gets a little nervous and she'll ask me, she'll say, Brandon, do you think Jesus is coming back? And she's kind of fearful a little bit. She's like, what's that going to be like? She said, do you think Jesus is coming back? And I said, God, I hope so. And she goes, but what about all the people that haven't heard? I said, we tried to tell them. She was like, well, isn't that kind of, I was like, I don't know, but I'm ready. And here today, if you're here and you don't know him, you don't have this hope because you don't have a relationship with Christ. And I'm trying to tell you from the moment you got out of your car today, we've been trying to tell you through people holding the door for you, through people giving you cards through people smiling and saying hello through people helping you find a seat or helping you get checked in at kids we've been trying to tell you about the love of Jesus and today if you don't know him and God's knocking on the door of your heart and you don't have this hope you can have it today you can have something bigger than you to cling to You can have something bigger than what we think of as reality to cling to. You can have a greater reality, the truth of God and the truth of his love. And all you've got to do is say yes to his invitation. Because today, Jesus invites you into a relationship with himself. He invites you into this hope. And today, if today is a day of salvation for you, that you put your faith in Jesus and say, I want to follow him the rest of my life. I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Then this hope becomes yours. And I want to know today, if you're here, today's a day of salvation for you. You've never made this step. You've never put your faith in Christ. But today, the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. And you today say yes to him. I want you to raise your hand up high where we can celebrate it with you. If your heart's beating about 100 miles an hour, it's okay. We're not going to bite you. We're going to celebrate with you. And we're going to help you take your next step. But if today's a day of salvation for you, I want you to raise your hand. 
here's what we're gonna do. I wanna pray, and this is the thing I know. I know this, not because I'm a prophet, but because I'm human and I know where you're at. Many of you are in a place that you need hope. Will you let somebody walk alongside you? Will you let somebody pray with you today? Will you let the body of Christ be the body of Christ? Will you come here today to this altar and let somebody pray with you? I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you if today you need prayer, whatever it might be, I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat and you come forward and meet our prayer team right here and have a time of prayer or just come and get on your face and spend time with the Lord. But I'm asking you to move. I'm gonna pray and then you move. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our lives. Thank you for the hope that is ours. Thank you for the hope that, that never, God, fades away, that never fails. God, I just pray that we would be able to fix our eyes on you. God, that we would be able to lift up our eyes and stand on our toes and extend our necks and look for, at the horizon for you, God, to come. That you would be our greatest hope, our redeemer, God, the lover of our souls. Will you just move in a mighty way now in our hearts? As people come forward, Lord, would you just speak to them? Would you speak to us right where we are? God, let us leave here with greater hope than we've had. God, give us the power of your spirit to continue. God, it's not easy, but the struggle, and the struggle is real. But so is your presence and so is your power. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray.